Welcome to your Truth Revealed, a podcast that explores your hidden physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux, and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to talk about how you can be your own mental health expert. You're listening to episode 32, Know Your Financial Well-Being. This is the second part of an interview with financial planner, Jessica Blood. She explains that financial well-being is not necessarily about wealth. It's more about feeling like you have control of your finances as opposed to your finances having control of you. You have to be willing to look in the mirror. And there's no good, bad, or otherwise on it. It's like, okay, well, I'm a spender or I'm a saver, or I don't do my 401k because I didn't realize the importance of it. Okay, that's fine. You have to be self-aware to understand what's coming in, what's going out, and what are the underlying behaviors. Jessica is a cum laude graduate of the Boston University Questrom School of Business. She's a certified financial planner and founding partner of PlanWise Financial Group. Her expertise is helping people make educated decisions about all aspects of their financial life and how to avoid pitfalls. Listen as Jessica and I explore your financial well-being and ways to become more aware of your relationship with money. Jessica, what is some practical behavioral advice you can give to people about financial well-being? So it's really custom and individual for each person that comes in. But the biggest thing you can do is managing your spending. Understand what that looks like and debt management. There's good debt. There's good debt debt debt. and bad debt. If you have three and a half percent mortgage, you pay that down. That's what we call good debt. Yeah. If you have credit cards and they're 20% APR and you're paying the minimum on that, that's what we call bad debt. Anything over 6%, we say, hey, let's try to get rid of that as quick as we possibly can. What's coming in versus what's going out? Mm -hmm. Do you have an idea of what that is? And not everyone needs to track a budget. Not every person is going to know where every dollar is. And that's okay as long as there's no deficit. If you can understand what that monthly number looks like and what you have coming in on a net basis, that's really helpful. Other things really is emergency reserve. I love champagne and I think of the the champagne tower <laughs> and the top glass is your emergency reserve and you want to make sure that you've got a healthy amount in there. I'm assuming we're at a wedding. <laughs> exactly. A champagne tower. So you, you're seeing that reserve being at the top. So there's enough to go down. Yeah. Am I getting it? Yes, you're getting it. And it's fun for me, especially when people come into the office and are like glazed over a little bit and you're like, okay, let's talk champagne. They're like, oh yeah, let's talk champagne. You want three to six months in emergency reserves at a minimum. That's Mm -hmm. the top champagne glass. Meaning if you lost your job, that you would be able to survive financially Mm -hmm. for three to six months. Exactly. Also, people come in and they're like, okay, we we feel like we're in a good place. We paid off our dad debt and finally reached our three to six months. And now we want to save for the kids 529s. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So 529s for college. Your kid's three. I like where you're going, but you haven't been able to max out your 401k. So let's pay you before you're paying your kids. Otherwise, your kids are going to go through college and then you're going to work till you're 100. Can we get where you're contributing or maxing out your 401k, contributing to an HSA, health savings account? That's how you want to pay yourself. The thing to think about on the debt management side of it is there's a behavior behind that. If we erase that debt and then I meet with you six months or a year later and you have accumulated the same debt, that's a spending problem. And that's where it it is psychological. What is it that you want more 
that will motivate your everyday behavior to be different than right. it was before. Right. And that takes a lot of self-inquiry. You have to be willing to look in the mirror. And there's no good, bad, or otherwise on it. It's like, okay, well, I'm a spender or I'm a saver or I I don't do my 401k because I didn't realize the importance of it. Okay, that's fine. You have to be self-aware to understand what's coming in, what's going out, right. what are the underlying behaviors. Right? Are you willing to do the self-investigation and be more self-aware to change those hardwired habits? What kind of habits are you willing to change for financial Wellness. Yeah. Right. And if someone comes in and they need some serious change to be able to get back on the right path, that's the financial paralysis. It's so overwhelming for them because they're afraid of the underlying issue. That's the the crux of it. But when we can uncover what's behind the fear, it actually becomes manageable. Yes. What I find really helpful for people is we have three things we're going to focus on Mm -hmm. and then we're going to meet in three months. Yep. Once you check off the first one, it creates motivation to do the yeah. next one. And then three months, you have to be accountable to someone. Mm-hmm. If you show up and you don't do your homework, I'm like, all right, is this really what you want? Mm-hmm. Like that. When you do meet those three goals and then you get that feeling of accomplishment yeah. and the excitement of seeing that things are moving in the right direction, I think that is the motivation. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the year, you have those things accomplished. Mm-hmm. It's the best feeling. Yeah. And you get to see that. There really is a difference between wealth and financial security. Can you speak mm-hmm. to that? Yeah. It's interesting because people think they're one and the same. And they're not. But they're not. Wealth is the accumulation. So what's in my bank? What's my total net worth? I've got my house, my car, my bank statements, my 401k. That's what I have. That's all fine and well. But if you don't feel like you're in control, if you don't feel safe with Mm -hmm. what you have, then it almost doesn't matter what that looks like in the bank. And that's part of what we need to uncover is what level of wealth makes you feel safe. There's also something about this idea of net worth and Mm self-worth that I think especially as Americans, that we put this together. And I'm never going to be satisfied, no matter how much money I make. Right. Because my self-worth is directly tied tied. to the financial worth. And it's really interesting because when you have that personality- I think we're trained to have that personality. Yeah. Well, if you say, I've made it, I've made my goal. Mm -hmm. I worked at a startup and I walked away with $10 million. Well, I got to figure out what's next. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you already need that? Yeah. Right. Do you know that's called a hedonic treadmill? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's next? There's never a sense of satisfaction, fulfillment, mm-hmm. or inner peace because it's always chasing the next thing. Mm-hmm. And knowing when enough is, is enough. enough. Yeah. And, and being okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard because that's what we're trained to do yeah. in the society. But part of my goal for people like that, I say your action item is to go on a vacation, mm-hmm. spend time with your family. What's one thing on your bucket list? Mm-hmm. It's understanding as a family or as a couple, what are your goals? You know, so I think it's important to talk through that. You have to enjoy because otherwise you're going to look back and be like, wow, I worked a lot. You have a pile in the bank and you have nothing to really look back on and right. say, wasn't that fun that we did that? And it's developing that lifestyle and those values along the way, mm-hmm. because I've seen where people have retired and your body's older, you're not able to do yeah. as much and you've got lifelong 
habits that you've been practicing and then don't know what to, to do. do. Mm-hmm. We see that all the time. And it's funny because we are trained to save for retirement and then we get there and don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, do you have any hobbies? Do you have any things that you want to do? And it's important as you get into those retirement years to talk about that. And maybe you'll never fully retire because that's not your personality, Mm -hmm. but understanding what other things you like to do so you can have other options. You might be an engineer for 30 years and want to go and work in a music store because you love it. And you don't need to make any money, but you enjoy seeing artists, enjoy the perks of that job. Right. It's more for sanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being a part of the community still, yeah. making a contribution. And, and mm-hmm. there are lots of activities in life that don't involve money. Yes. That you can add value. Yeah. The more that you can concentrate on that, the mm-hmm. better off your transition will be into retirement yeah. or yeah. into whatever that next job is or whatever that next goal is. There is a study in 2017 by Ramsey Solutions that says money is one of the primary issues married couples argue about. What is helpful to decrease financial stress in marriages? Yeah. Well, you think about it. You have two people that grew up Mm -hmm. in two separate houses, and then they have to be together in their own house running their own finances. You have two sets of core values, morals, ethics, spending habits, behavior habits, And it's assumed that you mash things together and then everything's (laughs) fine. I remember going into marriage and sitting down with my husband being like, how do we do this? My husband's 12 years older than me and he, you know, was farther along in his career. I was not, I was making less money. You know, I had less money in the bank. All these things were in my brain. Yeah. They weren't even a thought in his. Really? They weren't. What worked for us was we kept our stuff separate and we had a joint account. And then as things moved along, we've merged pretty much entirely at this point, 10 years into it. But what I find with most couples is money is such a hard topic to talk about because it depends on how you were raised, Mm -hmm. right? I think that every couple, Mm -hmm. they should meet with a financial person, whether that be their priest, a mentor that's done well financially. We just lucked out because I don't think I had that kind of foresight, but David and I decided who we wanted our efficient to be. And she was a marriage family counselor Ah. and she required before she would even do the ceremony that we have six therapy sessions with her. Wow. And finances was definitely one of those big topics. Also, how do you show love? How, what's your love language? That is so important. Yeah, the love language. Yeah. And it was a simple enough step. What it uncovered was phenomenal. And that has set the stage for the rest of our marriage. I mean, we've been together now for 20 years. Right. Imagine if you hadn't had that conversation. It would be different. John and I had counseling sessions before we got married as well. Mm -hmm. I remember when we were telling a couple of our close friends and family, they were like, if you already need counseling now, then why are you even getting married? This is is setting the foundation for us to have a successful, happy life. If you go into a marriage and you are not self-aware... There are probably going to be some troubles down the line. Mm-hmm. There's people who don't really understand the function of counseling. Yes. There's generational differences as well, I'm sure. And it's also proximity. Mm-hmm. Growing up in rural upstate New York, there's not a lot of people that are going to counseling. Hey, it's time for your checkup. Right. Um, let's let's come <laughs> on in. You know, that's what they think. And I'm like, it wasn't readily available. Yeah. And, and it wasn't part of my upbringing. Yeah. I wish that more people would do that. Mm-hmm. I talked to a newlywed couple 
And they had very different views on money that I'm not sure it's ever going to be a partnership. And it's more like, this is mine and this is yours and you need to do this and not that. You have to have that realization that you're going into this and you're on the same team. If you guys can't get to that, we need to be working through these problems. Why do you feel like it's yours versus his? Why couldn't it be ours? Wouldn't it benefit the family if you could pay off your student loans that will help you and benefit you as a couple? Some people don't have the ability to to have those conversations Mm -hmm. because they're hard. Mm -hmm. And if there's not somebody there to facilitate, it can get ugly. Yeah. And I think it's important. It's going into those questions with a a mindset of not being judgmental. The answer is what it is. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. It gets back to being open. Yeah. Do you have a recommendation for someone who's looking for a financial advisor, like what they should be looking for? Yeah. Interesting. It depends what kind of relationship they're looking to have. If you're looking to have an engaging relationship that is several times a year, then you should be looking for somebody that is financial planning focused. If you're looking to have somebody manage your portfolio, that's really an investment advisor. You can get that anywhere, really. That's pretty different then. It's very different. And that's a one-time, hey, what are you looking to do with this account? Mm -hmm. So I think people confuse those two. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they do. I had this couple and the first question I asked was, tell me about your family. Where's your family located? Your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters. And they were like, what does this have to do with our investment accounts? Actually, it has a lot to do with it. That's how I work with my clients. Because if I don't know your investment risk tolerance, your experiences with money, and I don't know your goals, how am I going to manage your portfolio Mm -hmm. if I don't understand the rest of the pie? I'm very engaged. I know their CPA. I know their attorneys. I know a lot of things about my clients because that's how I'm able to deliver value for Mm -hmm. them. And if that's not comfortable, then they should look for an investment advisor. I'm sitting for my CFP this year. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for financial planning, you should look for somebody that has that designation. Okay. And yeah, it's kind of a gut feeling. You can't deny that. Everything speaks to how you're greeted, how they answer the phone, Mm -hmm. how quickly they answer email. I mean, there's all of these things that really go into a relationship. We're going to talk about uncomfortable things. If you're not comfortable with the person, then you're probably not going to get to where you really could be if you were comfortable. Yeah. I feel like a financial therapist a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And finances come into counseling often because that's something that we all have in common. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The fun part about our profession is we get to educate and listen and be helpful and make make a difference. That's why I do it. Yeah. Thank you, Jessica, so much for spending this time and sharing all your knowledge with our audience. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I want to take a moment to talk about PlanWise Financial Group, where Jessica Blood is a founding partner. They understand that everyone faces decisions regarding their financial planning. Their goal is to help simplify and enrich your life. They have extensive experience providing personal financial planning, business management, and tax services to individuals and their families. They are committed to you and your long-term financial success so that you can rest easy. To contact Jessica Blood, go to planwisefin.com. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast, Your Truth Revealed. I want to expand on some of the main points from my interview with Jessica Blood. She says that financial well-being is not necessarily about wealth. And remember, your net worth 
is not equivalent to your self-worth. Financial well-being is about feeling like you have control of your finances as opposed to it having control over you. And financial well-being is personal. It's unique to you as an individual. To be able to manage your finances well, it's necessary to be able to look in the mirror with acceptance. It's being self-aware to know what money is coming in and what's going out. Then you're able to make behavioral changes to create more financial safety. Set a financial goal that you define for your lifestyle and your vision of success and comfort. Once you meet your goal, rest and enjoy it. Settle into what feels comfortable to you. If you have a partnership with a loved one, explore your financial values together. It's helpful to have a third party, like a financial planner, to explore the topic of money. These conversations can help you get on the same page and reduce overall stress. I did some research on my own and found seven helpful stages of financial well-being that was developed by Money Coaches Canada. It provides a pretty clear path and steps forward. It identifies stage one as financial chaos when you're having a really tough time and have unpaid bills. The second stage is avoidance, where you notice problems but don't take action. This is what Jessica refers to as financial paralysis. The third stage is awareness where you're ready to take charge. Next, there's financial stability when you're relieved and cautiously optimistic. Stage five is security when you make good decisions, have a plan, and it's working. The next is freedom when you have enough money to live the life that you want. And lastly, the seventh stage is financial fulfillment. You have everything you need, feeling peaceful and generous with others. For more on this episode and other great resources, make sure to check out the show notes. In episode 33, I talked to neurologist Dr. Diego Tobar Quiroga about the brain and how to heal seizures and epilepsy. Imagine that everything you do, moving, sensations, emotions, creating memories, recall of memories, seeing, hearing, all those are functions of the brain and there is electricity flowing through networks in the brain. We call these functional networks. An epileptic seizure happens when there is an abnormal electrical discharge flowing through these networks in the brain and the specific network becomes dysfunctional. Until next time, subscribe and rate the show. Also tune into season one for more on unleashing your physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.